you have just joined us, you are welcome to Christchurch International. This is our midweek service. We are having a special Q&A and prayer session this evening. The Lord is our strength. Amen. Amen. And this evening we'll be talking about the power of unity. Amen. Amen. So the Bible says um, in Matthew chapter 18 verses 19 and 20, it says that where um, two of you agree on earth, concerning anything that they ask mm. it will be done for them by my father in heaven mm. because where two or three are gathered in my name and mm. this is jesus saying it i am there in the midst of them mm. we also know that jesus in john chapter 17 when he was uh, praying for the believers before he left mm. he prayed that they may all they all may be one mm. as the latin will say utsint unum i know that from secondary school <laughs> Amen. Amen. So we know that uh, Bishop has taught us that when Jesus himself is talking about and teaching about prayer, we need to pay a lot of attention to it. And so this evening, we want to go right into it, Papa. And um, we know unity has always been important to God, mm. and we want to understand why. Mm. And so we'll go right to the very first question that we have. It is a loaded question. So. <laughs> I'm going to ask it in bits and pieces, but yes, uh, we will learn a lot in Mm. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first question, Papa, is why is unity so essential to progress? And then there are a few other things, but if you finish this one for me, please, then I'll ask the other one. Okay. Amen. Um, Thank you for the question. Why is unity so important to progress? Um, The first thing we have to bear in mind is that God created us to make progress. And and that is why our foot is not pointing backwards, but forwards. And that's why the eyes are not behind, but they are again forward. And so God wants us to make progress. Um, But progress can only be achieved in an atmosphere of unity. And in fact, the scriptures point to that fact that you will notice that Psalm 133 verse 1 to 4, where we have that summary. It says, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the dew, it is like the oil, the anointing that is upon the head of Aaron that pours down his beard and goes through his skirts and garments. And it is also like the dew on Mount Hermon. And then the conclusion is this, and there the Lord commands the blessing. So it is very clear that unity is needed because without unity, we won't have the blessing to make progress. Um, And so in that atmosphere of unity, that is where the Lord commands blessing. And we can also support that from the Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 account. When humans were created first, you would see that blessing was not pronounced until the power of partnership was established. Uh, When Adam was created, the blessing was not pronounced. When Eve was added to him, then he blessed them. So until there is the power of partnership and unity, blessing itself won't be pronounced. And therefore, the purpose of blessing, which is progress and flourishing and prosperity, won't also happen. Um, And so without unity, nothing great can be achieved. Um, Genesis 11 tells us about the Tower of Babel. And the people that built it, they spoke one language. And the Bible says that because of their unity, it was so strong that it attracted the Trinity. 
And the Bible says that the Lord God said, let us now go down. That means that this is the Trinity motion. Let us go down and see what they are doing. Because it says the way they are united, nothing can stop them from fulfilling what they have decided or purpose to do. This is God's verdict about humans. That the strength of their unity was said that nothing can stop them from fulfilling their purpose. The only thing is that the purpose for their mission is contrary to what God wanted. So God came down and divided their language so they cannot understand each other and therefore they abandoned the project. Now what was uniting them was a united language. And when we say the language must be, we must speak the same language so as to appear to be united, it is not different dialects, but we are talking about language. You see, if I say we should all move left and somebody says, we, no, the others should go right, you see, we are speaking a different language. And the Bible says they were divided and they could not fulfill it. But the earlier verdict of God was that the unity of the people is such that. That's why the Bible even says the people is one. And it was not a grammatical mistake. Those of us who studied English, at least we are good with our grammar. We know it should have been the people are one. But God said the people is one, which is reflecting the strength of the unity. And it says, and nothing shall restrain them, nor stop them, nothing, even not God. The only way is to divide their language. And so unity is a very powerful thing that when people are united, they move on to do great things. And I've also cited a very interesting example in my book on the... Um, the first book I wrote about doing the master's will, and I talk about unity there as well, that unity is so essential to God and to everything that we do, to the point that um, if people are not united, they cannot fulfill their assignment in life. And I cited the example, which may sometimes sound political, but it is true, that if you look at Africa, you will find out that it is blessed with quiet every other natural resource that you would need from gold to oil to diamonds to everything and yet it appears to be one of the poorest continents i mean to be rich and poor something is wrong and then we see other continents other countries that doesn't have all these but they have unity and in fact their names reflect the extent of their unity where you have a united kingdom and then you have got a European Union. You've got the United States. You have a United Arab Emirates. In fact, Russia became a superpower because it used to be the USSR, Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, Union again. So you see, when these are nations that are described as having a union and see the progress in those places, and then you see that you've got everything in one place and still the people can't move forward because we are divided by war and so many things. So you see that unity has a way of bringing progress. And that is why unity is so essential to God, to humans, and to the progress of human life. Amen. 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 Thank Amen. you, Papa. You're welcome. So when there is the power of unity, we have progress. Amen. Amen. Okay. So why is unity so essential to church growth? Why is unity so essential to church growth? Um, despite the anointing, we need unity for the church to grow. The church is a very mysterious organism. 
It's not an organization. It is an organism. And much as it is a spiritual organization, it also is a, is a, is a physical um, establishment. Now, church would do well when we all come together as a team. Um, you find out that for God to do well, he exists as a trinity. And there is so much understanding and a united team. Can you imagine if they were divided? There was sort of, you know, responsibility given to each member of the Godhead for, let's say, the project of salvation of humans. And you realize that they were able to accomplish that because there was such a division of labor uh, and guided by the spirit of unity. Jesus prayed and said, just as we are one, I am praying that they should be one. And we could see, what if Jesus has refused to die on the cross? I mean, as he, he got very close and saw the type of death he was about to die and decided that he's not going to really participate anymore. That project would have failed. What if the Holy Ghost decided that at the last minute he's on strike? He's not going to raise Jesus from the dead. We are told that it was he who raised Christ from the dead. What if he decided he's not coming to church? He's not going to do his role in the service that day. So when there was no unity, humans would not have been saved. The salvation plan would have been aborted. You know, so when it comes to church, church must grow. Church must develop. Church must fulfill the purpose for which God called it. But church is made up of humans and people. And if we are not united, if a church is not united, it will never be able to accomplish its purpose. It doesn't matter the anointing over the house. A divided house, no matter how anointed, will still achieve nothing. It will not be impactful. You won't achieve the great things that we are supposed to achieve. And you see that the success of God is what we must follow. And so we can see throughout the scriptures, just like the Tower of Babel issue, is the same thing we see in church structure, church leadership, church organization, departmental organization, all of that. We need the unity of the house. And without the unity of the house, the church will not be able to fulfill its purpose without understanding of the need for unity, to unite behind the mission of the church, to unite behind the pastor of the church, to unite behind the resident pastor, to unite behind the vision of the house. All these things need unity. If we are disunited with any of this or in any of this, we can have lofty visions written out, spelled out, on internet, etc., we can have all night prayer meetings after prayer meetings, and you'll see that nothing will be achieved because nothing is achieved without unity. You know, if, if we have to be fruitful, as we can see in scripture, you realize that even in life, if a couple, one of the couple mem members of the marriage, the two member parliament of the marriage, if one of them decides that he or she is not going to cooperate as far as the making of babies are concerned. I can guarantee you they can dream, go for all night prayer meeting, pour anointing oil on them. You can somersault and do everything. No baby will be produced because the other party has decided I am not in unity with this. And that is important. Two people can't have a baby until they agree and come together. And that is the important thing, that if we are going to have victory in church, church growth, evangelism, establishment, everything that we have to do, it will call for a united group of people to achieve it. And Satan hates the unity of Christians. And I believe that's why Jesus had to pray for 
there to be unity, that they may be one. So our vision can be great. We may be full of power and dreams, just like in a marriage situation. But if one or two decide they won't help, then the thing will not work. Amen. 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 A united house. A united church. Mm is important for the work to go on. That's right. And uh, if there's no unity, it doesn't matter how anointed the, the church or the house is. Mm. Amen. 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 We are learning. Um, as Bishop is answering the questions, if you have any follow-up questions, if you have any new questions, please post them on YouTube, Christchurch HQ, Facebook, Christchurch International, or send an email to get understanding at Christchurches.org. And we will get to it and get answers to them. Amen. Amen. So we are still on the journey of why unity is so essential, Papa. Mm. And the next one is, why is it so essential to answer prayer? Why is unity so essential to answer prayer? Now, this is a very, very important question because sometimes we get carried away with the fact that we can speak to God. But we need to understand the uh, technicalities in the realm of the spirit. And that is why I always say that when Jesus is teaching prayer, we need to follow him carefully because he is the one who also answers the prayer. Uh, the one who is an expert in a field, when that person is talking, you need to pay attention. And so anytime Jesus teaches prayer, he emphasizes the need for unity. And in um, Matthew chapter 18, he made a very profound uh, statement concerning prayer. And he said that when, if two shall agree, on earth as touching anything in heaven it shall be granted if two shall agree on earth so again you see the power of unity that we can come to church and pray but if we are united it means that the prayer takes a certain dimension in the same way you realize that in the same scripture in Matthew 18 he also went on to say and where two or three are gathered together in my name, you see, not just gathered, but gathered together. So we can't just gather, but we must gather together. Again, emphasizing the unity bit of things. So when we are united in heart, understanding, purpose, and vision, when we make a request, it will be granted. So there is the need for unity. You know, in fact, you can also see that in, I think, 1 Peter 3, when Peter was teaching about prayer again, he talked about the marriage and says that, um, you know, men should dwell with their wives according to knowledge. And he says that if a man does not handle his spouse well, then his prayer will be hindered. Now, that's a very powerful thing that if there's no unity in the home, then it is, it's also going to even affect prayer. Because the God who answers prayer exists as a united team. And we can't be bearing grudges and fighting each other. Something is not right when we are not united. And so when there is unity, it has a way of giving power to our prayer. And so Jesus said, if two shall agree on earth concerning anything, it shall be granted. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there. You know, so when we look at that, we, we see that the place where God commands blessing will be the atmosphere of unity. And that is why we must endeavor to be united 
and that is also a very good foundation for answered prayer. Amen. 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 The God who answers prayer exists as a united team. Mm. So if you don't want your prayers to be hindered, you have to live in unity. Mm. Amen. 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 Still moving on. Yes. <laughs> Why is unity so essential to families and to relationships? Unity is so essential to families and relationships um, because without that, the family is a very wonderful unit that God made. You know, we stress the need and importance of the church. The church has a very crucial role to play in society. Um, but the family is powerful. In the grand scheme of things, the family was the first institution God established on the earth before the church. And the reason is because the church will be populated from the family. Everybody that came to church came from a home. I've always believed that if the home is not well, church won't be well. Because the people that make up the church came from a home. So if the home is sick, church will be sick. So home must be well organized. Now, because the home or the family was the first institution God established, there was a reason for them for the family. The family must also make progress. People must do well, but we get divided again in the home. Everyone in the family is an asset and a blessing. The only way Satan can divide a family is to cause confusion and disunity. And so we get deceived to think we can stand alone, but no one was born to be an island. You won't do well. You may make some effort, but your greatest you know, breakthrough will come when we are united. You see, teamwork multiplies the effect. It divides the effort, but multiplies the effect. Teamwork divides the effort, but it multiplies the effect. So families must do well. Families must make progress. When family is united, a lot of things can be done, especially from the raising of children to um, accomplishment of visions. There are huge properties that have been left for families. But because of disunity, it's never achieved. Sometimes it is said by uh, elders, especially in the Ghana state, that when two brothers fight, a stranger will inherit their wealth. When two brothers fight, whilst you are fighting, because you are busy trying to destroy each other, but the gold is there, a stranger will take it away and you don't even know it's been taken away. And that's exactly why families need to be united because God blesses through families. And when there are, you know, inheritance to be um, inherited and we divide ourselves by fighting each other, in the end, nothing is done and the thing is still sitting there. And we get divided until a stranger somewhere in the future will take the whole thing away and we have spent all the energy fighting ourselves and nothing is left for, prosper for posterity. If those people who put the wealth down had fought everybody in the family, would there have been any property, any wealth at all? You know, so from the raising up of children, if we have a united house, taking it from even the direct nuclear family, if the mom and dad are not united, it will be very difficult to raise very orderly children. Sometimes we see all the troubled uh, children because they have seen so much violence at home, seen disunity, and children learn by what they observe. If they grow up in a disunited home, they also go out and think it is normal. 
You know, they fight everybody, they fight the classroom, they fight everything, they grow into society and they become troubled children. Things annoy them, they mess things up, they fight everybody, they are angry from their inside because something was not right from the unity of the home. It affects proper discipline of children. I mean, if the order of the home is that at 8 o'clock the children should be sleeping and we are disunited about that. When a child is not asleep and, you know, mommy says, go and sleep. And he starts grumbling and daddy says, don't worry, keep watching your Netflix. It's a confusion. Now, that's not, good. that's not proper. That's not healthy. So you realize that we need unity even in the home. We need unity in relationships. We can't accomplish anything. You can't agree on a wedding day if you are all confused. And so you'll be dreaming about the wedding and it's never going to happen because one person is still not decided. So we, if we talk about the family, we need to be united as a family. There are certain things only a family can accomplish together. And if we are divided, we won't be able to do it. Satan has specialized in dividing families. And we, we fight among ourselves and we destroy things and we leave all the wealth for a stranger to come and inherit. So family unity is also a very powerful thing. There are great things God would like to accomplish through families. If you look through the way God has worked from the beginning, he has worked always through families. He has always worked through families. Aaron and his sons. But Aaron is related to Moses and Miriam. David and his descendants. You know, so it's always a family thing. And so family is a very powerful thing. Don't neglect family. Sometimes family has made it said that because the enemy has already divided us, we try to hate everybody and we want to be on our own. But if we look at the way God is seeing things, how does things look like? What would our children inherit later on? Would they even know their cousins? Would they know they are members of family? Do they know? Because if, we, if family is not united and we get so divided, we'll end up marrying one of our family members one day. It's only later that we'll be told that we are directly related. And so unity is so crucial for families. And when there's unity in families, you will see that there is love. There is progress, there is development, and there is sound health as well. It is healthy to be united. Let me pause here before I preach a whole message, but I think I've answered the Amen. question. Amen. Okay. Amen. So unity in families is really important. God has always achieved a lot and worked a lot with families. Mm. And the church is populated by families. So if the family is not well, the church is not well. That's right. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And when there is unity, there is good health. Mm. Amen. Amen. I hope you are learning. If you are learning, type, I'm learning to encourage us here. Amen. 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 Okay. So, Papa, you've um, taken us through how essential unity is. Mm. The next question we have is, how do we maintain unity? Mm. Because you said that the devil tries to fight unity. So mm. then what do we do to fight back? Right, okay. Now, unity is so essential, as I've mentioned. That means that something that is so essential, we must study about it. And then we must also invest time, resources, and energy to maintain it. Because it's too costly to lose it. Um, and so we have to find out um, what to do when things don't go the way we want it to go. Once we have established a relationship, 
we must do well to maintain the relationship. I believe that one of the first things is to learn to value everybody in the relationship. Because when you don't value something, you easily throw it away. You ignore it, you disrespect it. So we need respect. You can only respect something if you have already placed value on it. That's why I mentioned the value first. So much as it is respect, we can't have full respect until we have seen the value of the thing. If I don't know the value of something, then I'm being forced to respect the thing. But when I catch a revelation of the value of the thing, I don't need pressure to respect it. And the moment I begin to respect that person or that thing, I will take steps to guard it. So if I begin to value the people in the church, I begin to value my pastor, I begin to value members of the church, I begin to value members of my family, that these are assets of God. You know, nobody can manufacture them. They are a creation of God. It, it just changes the game on how you see them. You see them as dogs that God has positioned in your life. You see them as blessings that God has placed in your life. So the moment you begin to value them, you begin to, it helps you to maintain the unity. Because in, that means that whatever you have, if anything is going to go wrong, you do your very best to maintain it. When we respect people, See, people don't leave organizations. They don't leave the organization. They leave people. You know, people don't leave family. They leave people. People don't leave church. They leave people. It's because of someone. That's why they walked away. It's because of someone. That's why they walked away. So we need to really value people. And when we value people, then it will help us to maintain unity in the house. Because once our first relationship, unity starts. And as we go along, we try to also steady each other in order to avoid offending each other that will disturb the unity of, of, of the family and of the church. So, you know, we are humans. We will offend each other. We will step on each other's toes. Um, you don't step on the toes of people who are far away from you. You, might have, you must have very long toes to be doing that. Someone can be standing at the bus stop and you're at home and the person complains you step on their toes. We step on the toes of people that are close to us. But we must also be mindful when we step on their toes, we should know that we have stepped on their toes. Unless you have no feelings. You see, that's where the disrespect is. Where I don't care about you. You know, so you didn't know you stepped on my, show, my toes. You know, so even if it's accidental and your mind is drawn to it, investigate it and realize, really, I think I did. I'm sorry. You know, and which is a very helpful way of maintaining relationship. Please, I'm sorry, thank you. These basic etiquettes of communication, they are all very wonderful oxygen of relationship that helps to maintain the unity of the house. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We are learning about unity. We are learning how to become and maintain the, uni the unity that we have so that our prayers are not hindered. Amen. Amen. And Bishop has taught us just now that we have to place a value on the people around us. And when we place a value on them, we'll respect them and we will guard them. Amen. Amen. I have a question, Papa. Yes. Um, so we, um, the scripture says that as long as it depends on you, mm. be at peace with one another, mm. which means that you, you have to, there's an action for you to take to be at peace. Mm. 
when how do you know then that okay i've done all i can mm. and now you know this is where i draw the line mm. so that we don't just use that scripture as an excuse and you say oh i've done everything i i can do when indeed you haven't really tried how when do you know that this is i have done my best mm. to maintain the peace okay um you know jesus gave us the prescription uh, for maintaining peace and he says that um, if your brother offends you, he said, if you go to the altar to pray, you see how unity is connected again to prayer. He said, when you go to the altar to pray and there you remember that your brother has offended you. You see, Jesus chose his word carefully. It's not that you remember you have offended your brother. Actually, <laughs> that you remember your brother has offended you. That means that you are the offended party. You see, you feel the offense because your brother has offended you. So you are the one who has been offended. There's something still in your heart. He says, when you remember, leave your gift there. Don't try to pray because it won't do anything. Back to the fact that unity is so essential to answered prayer. He said, leave the gift at the altar. Lift the sacrifice at the altar. It means that no matter how expensive the sacrifice is, it means nothing to God. It shifts nothing at all in the spirit. It changes no game. You just have gone to do a ceremony and return because you will not have a benefit for it. It says, go and look for that brother or that sister and raise the issue with him or her. Now, let me say this here. I want us to be practical Christians. The prescription of Jesus is not something that we on our own naturally would love to do. The real us without the Holy Spirit is a vengeful one. We will want to have a pound for pound toe-to-toe battle, you know, but the Holy Spirit in us moves us to practice behaviors that are only characteristics of of God. And so we must be spirit-filled and spirit-led to move that. But Jesus gave us a prescription. I know in your own way, I don't want to go. I won't call him. You must follow Jesus. If you believe Jesus, follow Jesus. This is the test of our faith. We can't say we believe in him and we refuse to accept his prescription. He says, go to the person, pick it up with the person first hand. So there are four steps he taught us. First step, to be sure that you have done all you can, is go and raise the matter with the person. And the aim, he says, and if he listens to you or she listens to you, you have won your brother back. You see, so the aim of every approach to conflict resolution is to win the brother back is to win that sister back, is to win the cousin back. For God to give us this prescription means he knew us and knew that we can offend each other. But then he says, then if he refuses to listen to you, that means that there is a possibility the person will hold their ground and they won't listen to you. He says, if he refuses to listen to you, then tell it to one or two. Now, this is where we make the mistake all the time. We get offended, we haven't picked it with the person as Jesus prescribed, and we have already told two, three, four, and social media. <laughs> see, then we get surprised when the thing is not resolved because you are offended. You are talking to the people who didn't offend you. You have already told them all already. So you see, the problem arises because when I get to know that I have offended you and I didn't know, but six or four people who are not me, you have already called them and told them all these things, it will harden my position against you. 
By the time you show your face, I am not ready to see you at all. You have already destroyed me. What are you coming to do? You know, so this is what leads to the hardened position and the difficulty. Whenever we break a divine rule, we will have an accident. It's the same thing on the face of the earth. Whenever we break traffic rules, we get an accident. If you break a rule in the kitchen, a knife will definitely have a slice of your finger. You know, so Jesus told us, follow these steps. And I told you when he's teaching, please follow him. He knows what he's saying. It's not like a play of words. He's teaching us methodically what solves the problem. Step number one, go to the person, raise the issue with the person. If the person listens to you and apologizes, we have sorted it out. You know, true forgiveness is not complete until one person apologizes and the other person says are forgiven. That's when it has gone through the full cycle. We can't imagine forgiveness. Now, so that's first step. He says, but if one person didn't listen to you and refuses to acknowledge what you are talking about, that means we still not want the brother back. Then we follow step number two. Then we tell two or three witnesses. I found out from scripture and from experience that this witness is not everybody. It must be somebody that both of you have great respect for, whose voice carries weight that can bring about a change in the situation. So you go and tell somebody whose influence can help resolve the matter, not just anybody. So he says, go and tell two or three and then let them come and solve the issue. And when he refuses to listen to them, now if he listens to them, you've won your brother back. But if he doesn't listen to them, check notes of the scriptures, if he doesn't listen to them, that means it's going to be plural here, plus you, plus those people. If he doesn't listen to them, then the scripture says, then tell it to the church. That means it's assuming we are all in church by that time. Now, so Jesus already envisaged that even in church, there will be things like that. Tell it to the church doesn't mean get a microphone, come to the front. I have a testimony. And when they give you the mic, say, I have a problem with Sister Eileen in the house. <laughs> now, that is not it. You go to pastor in confidence and draw his attention to what has happened. And every genuine pastor will tell you, what you are telling me, you are, you are telling me because you want us to resolve this. See, don't tell me I'm telling you, but don't tell anybody. You will kill the pastor. Pastor has a small heart. Okay, he has got things to deal with. If you want solution, you tell me, and then I'll tell you. So you don't mind, I'm going to tell her, I'm going to ask her that this is your concern. The thing is giving you sleepless nights. You are telling me, you are telling me not to tell anybody. What should I do with what you have told me? It will kill me. Let me release it. Now, so you, the approach is that you tell the church. That means you tell church leadership. Sometimes it may not go to the senior pastor. It may go to your head of department. Respect them. They have been put there by the pastor. Respect them and trust them. They can handle the matter. Now, whatever be the case, tell the church, church leadership. Now, when you tell them, they will also invite the person plus yourself. And then we try to resolve the issue. The aim here always is to resolve the issue so we win our brother back. Now, the Bible says, if this becomes so difficult to be solved, what is it at all that it has gone to third stage? We still can't resolve it. He says, in that case, then leave the brother alone. Treat him as a publican. Now, the publicans were the sinners in the days of Israel. They were the ones the Israelites didn't want at all because they, they taxed them. You know, Zacchaeus was one of them. You know, they, they tax the people and they, they inflate it. That's why when Zacchaeus met Jesus, he said, anybody I've cheated, four times I'll replace. You know, so he said, treat him like a sinner. 
Um, but the question then is, how do we treat sinners? Don't we intercede for them? So we intercede for them. Now, if you genuinely follow these three processes, you have done your part. As far as heaven is concerned, you have done. If you keep going, I don't want to, don't talk to me. Put the phone off. You, have, you are making, make sure you, you are ticking your box so that you finish the case. It has always been my approach. I jokingly tell my wife, I will put people in trouble. I'm going to make sure that I have no case with heaven. In the realm of the spirit, when demons even gather, this very matter, I have no case. They can't hold anything against me. It will be found out by evidence that I made effort to reach you and you decide to shut the doors. So at least I follow Jesus' prescription. When I decide to also move forward, I'm moving forward with a clear conscience that I've made every effort to reach you and you just don't want peace. I can now go back to the place of prayer. That when I begin to pray and the devil comes in, you are not talking to brother. So I said, the devil, you are a liar. Father, you know, you are a witness. I followed your word and therefore I'm exempted by the word of God to now carry on with my prayer to God. In that case, we have followed the full cycle of the process. Let's be believers, genuine believers. You believe Jesus? He said, do this one. Believe him, act it out. Let me pause here before I Hallelujah. preach. Hallelujah. Let's service. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Uh, we have to follow the prescription of Christ. Amen. Mm. I like it that Bishop said, forgiveness cannot be imagined. Mm. And the full circle must happen. Mm. Someone must apologize and someone must also say, I have forgiven you. Yes. Amen. Amen. The world will tell you that if you sin against someone, you go and ask for forgiveness. Mm. But the Holy Spirit says, if someone has sinned against you, you, you go one. and start the process. Mm. In Jesus' name, amen. May amen. the Lord be our helper. Amen. amen. If you have been convicted this evening because you've been holding a grudge against someone, because someone has done something against you, don't let the night go by. Once the service is over, pick up the phone, give the person a call. The Holy Spirit will be your helper. Amen. 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 And let me chip one more thing in. You see, we become Christians to become like Christ. And the nature of God and Christ was that we offended him. And he came looking for us. He came living, looking for us, making the offer. And we, when we reject him, you see, he also has no um, blame to himself when we find ourselves in hell. But he's given us all the opportunity. And that's the same thing he wants us to practice. It's hard from human perspective, but that is God's order. And we have to be Christians enough to follow it. I know it's some way, I'm, no, I'm not going to give her that chance to give her that. No, no, I'm not going to. The Holy Spirit must lead you. That is the difference between you and the unsaved you. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. And if you haven't read Bishop's book on the effects of the Holy Spirit, this is where I plug it in. Mm. <laughs> Look for a copy, read it. It will help you. It will change your life. It will change your destiny. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We are moving on, Papa. Thank you very much for the lesson so far. We are blessed. We have been blessed. Amen. Amen. So um, we spoke about, you know, when somebody has offended you mm -hmm. and that you have to follow the prescription of Christ. Mm -hmm. But even though we are Christians, we can also offend people. Mm -hmm. And so the next question says, what are some of the possible causes or behaviors that promotes disunity. Right. The possible causes, there are a lot of them, but we may have to narrow down to a few here this evening. Um, 
much as we try to maintain unity, um, as I said, we may step on each other's toes. Um, and some of them would just be um, slander, you know, slander. Um, slander is to speak maliciously about someone, uh, to backbite, uh, to destroy the reputation of another person. And it, it leads to division. It leads to disunity uh, because I can't trust you anymore. Um, whoever slanders you, um, the scripture has certain descriptions for such people. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, it says that anyone who speaks evil of his brother or sister uh, or divides close friends is, is a club, a sledgehammer, and a sharp arrow. Uh, you agree with me? These are murder equipments. And so the scripture is actually describing such a person as a murderer. You know, so when we speak evil of each other um, and the other person got to know, it will separate us. Um, I, I won't trust you again because we relate based on trust. And, and the moment you can speak such evil of me, whatever it is, couldn't you have come to me? You know, so when, you, when we start gossiping, you know, negative gossip, I always say there's positive gossip where you can tell people about Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and you can actually gossip about me to God uh, to say that my shoe is, uh, is worn out. Father, get him a new one. That's a good way of gossiping about me to God. Uh, but telling other people my shoe is worn out and they won't do anything about it, that is malicious. <laughs> but, you know, so when you get to know issues about people, it's a true relationship is based on trust. And there are levels of the trust. See, when you meet someone at the bus stop for the first time, uh, there's a level of trust there. When you start moving into the person's house, they're taking you to the second level of trust. When they start opening up to certain areas of their lives for you to see, it's not that they are blind to it. They are intentionally opening up so that you will complement and supplement and stand with them. We were all created with the ability to pretend. And we were all created with the ability to cover up. Even little children know how to cover up and how to play pretends mom and dad and pretends that. So we all know how to do that. The moment someone is opening up to you, it's very, very clear. It is more intentional than accidental. In 99.9% .9 of the cases, it is more intentional than accidental. When you get close to someone, very soon the person will open up to you. And we really, actually, we open up to people we trust. You know, it's not very easy to stand naked before anybody. But at least we do that to our doctor. We do that to our spouses. To people we love, we are able to do that. But we just can't do that to anybody. It takes a certain level of craziness and boldness to do that publicly to anybody. Now, so when people open up to you, it means that they trust you. And when we break the trust, we disturb the unity of that relationship, the unity of that house, the unity of the team, the unity of the company, etc. We break trust. Now, so we must ensure that we don't slander or gossip. When you must know when something is confidential, that you have been trusted with this information. That is why there are, you know, even in government bodies, that's why they say freedom of everything. Uh, we see ministers being dismissed, uh, sacked, suspended because they breach ministerial ethics the code of ethics, because there are certain things you must know. 
there's an oath of secrecy sworn by government officials uh, to, to protect the nation. So it's not everything you can tell everybody. In the same way, when you become aware of certain weaknesses of a brother or sister, it is not for public consumption. What did you do about it yourself? So when you start spreading such news and the person gets to know, they will definitely withdraw. So we are disturbing the unity of the house. In the same way, even as a team, a church or a vision, there's a clear directive. We are all going left. As for me, I don't want to go left. You know, when you operate an independent spirit, doing what you want to do rather than what you are instructed to do, you are disturbing the unity of the house. So all such behaviors doesn't augur well for a united home, a united family, a united church, a united company, etc. You know, people's progress is based on the unity of the team. You may be a team leader at the workplace, you know, and you are leading a team. Your team must be united. They can't go behind you and be lying about you and destroying the respect that others have for you. And all these things are behaviors and attitudes that destroy the unity of, of a team or a group of people. None of us were created to be, you know, spoken evil of. So when the other person really gets it, you can't say you should get on with it. It's not going to do it. It's just going to cut you off. But we don't want to cut off. But these are behaviors we put up that really cuts us off. And sometimes a spirit of competition, you know, sibling rivalry that goes all the way to the extreme right, where we become jealous of ourselves because this one is being blessed. And this one seems to be going forward. And only me and my children are this way. Ladies and gentlemen, in a family, sometimes God will bless someone. There will always be a Joseph in the family who will become the door for the blessing of all the others in the family. If you end up killing your Joseph, you have killed the door to your blessing. If Joseph had died that day when they put him in the pit, when Judah protested that they should not kill him or Reuben, tried to prevent them killing him, if they had killed him that day, years later when hunger and famine came, they would all have starved to death if Joseph had not gone ahead to preserve things. So in our nations, in our communities, in our families, there will be one or two who will be like Joseph's in the family. Don't hate them. We are all not the same. We are gifted differently in church, in the choir. The unity of the choir can be preserved when we begin to respect each other's talents and gifts. We may not have all that have that voice. Some of us may be at the back to back. Let's enjoy your place in the ministry, in the house of God. Some people will be blessed. Take courage and inspiration from their blessing and believe God for yours rather than becoming jealous and doing things that they will also see. One of the interesting things about human behavior is that we look out for those who are celebrating with us when we are celebrating. And we also look out for those who are rejoicing when things are not well with us. So we look around, we see. And so when you give that impression, you destroy the unity of the house because you can't be trusted. You know, so in marriages, in relationships, in families, etc., let's not do things like this. Let's not become too jealous of each other's gifts or their promotions or their wealth or their job. You don't know where they have come from. You don't know how much they have labored and God has rewarded them. We all can be blessed at the same level. But if we can love one another and rejoice with those who rejoice, God will also bless us in our own time. So things like jealousy, you know, disrespectful behaviors towards 
um, you know, leadership instructions and directions. All these things, they are attitudes that disturb the unity of a home, the unity of a team, the unity of a family. And it doesn't augur well for the prosperity that that vision or that group of people were originally destined to have achieved. Amen. 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 So Bishop has taught us some of the things that can bring about this unity. Mm. Gossip, negative gossip, mm. <laughs> disrespect, um, and, and a lot of other things as well. Um, when I was in secondary school, we used to say that last days are dangerous. Mm -hmm. We are in the very last days of our fast. There's a reason why we are talking about this now. You may not really understand it, but if there's anything within us um, that you know makes us makes us fall foul of this, mm. the Holy Spirit is telling us that we need to deal with it. There are some blessings that are hanging in the air. It is waiting for us to clear these things out mm. so that we can receive of the Lord. Amen. 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 I've seen some quite interesting questions on YouTube, um, okay. but I want to do. Um, I have two or three here. I'll do this now, and then we will come to that, Papa. Okay. Um, so how do we resolve issues of disunity within a church, family, team, relationship, etc.? I know you spoke about the prescription of Christ. Exactly. Is there anything you want to add, or do we... Um, well, I think in addition to the prescription Jesus gave us to always raise the issue with the other person, um, in raising the issue, there are attitudes we must also adopt. You see, the, the respect mustn't change. The respect and approach must not change. I always say approach than confront. Um, when we approach, we'll find solution. When we confront, we'll have a war back. I always say that don't, fire, don't fight fire with fire. Mm. Uh, those who fight fire for fire will end up with ashes. <laughs> so we need mm. to adopt an approach, a humble approach. Um, secondly, the humility necessary in resolving conflicts. Um, when it is pointed out that you are in the wrong, be humble enough to accept it. You see, swallow your pride very often. It is non-fattening. <laughs> Amen. You know, so it's very, very important that you know, and we learn to also apologize. It is the humility that leads us to apologize. I've learned that this about apologizing, that I'm sorry that is a better start than I'm sorry if. So I'm sorry that I offended you. That is a full admission. But I'm sorry if I offended you. It's not completely 100%. It is that I don't know if you are saying so, so let it be. You know, in that case, that you are still not seeing the impact of what you did. And so in order to maintain the unity in the family and to resolve the causes of this unity, we need, in addition to the prescription Jesus access, which I won't go back to, I've given you elaborate uh, process that we have to follow. We need to adopt these attitudes because most of the time we, we follow the prescription, but we don't carry the attitude with it. So we end up not achieving the result that God had. You know, um, sometimes you realize that we don't achieve peace because whereas both parties come to the table um, to, to forgive, neither comes to the party to be forgiven. So I say we don't achieve peace because we come to the table to 
say that we are coming to forgive, but we are not coming to be forgiving. You see, it means that I'm not going to admit my guilt to say that, okay, so you are forgiving me. You know, the arrogance is still there. It's not my fault. I, I will take the high ground. I will forgive you. That means that you were in the wrong. Mm -hmm. But the moment I am in the wrong, no, I'm not ready to admit that. You know, so that's why I said that we all come. The reason why two parties to a conflict are not able to resolve conflicts is that whilst each party comes to the table with a mentality to forgive, neither comes to the table with a mentality to be forgiven. But if we have humility with us, then we will approach the table, come what may. Sometimes we are blind. On our blind side, we really didn't know that we, we did all this that resulted in this reaction. And so much as the person may not have acted very well, we also have to admit our part so that we can move on. There must be that bit of conflict resolution that brings the unity because the purpose of unity is to be trusted again. And for us to win each other back, I need to trust you. You know, otherwise I may forgive you, but I can't trust you. Because forgiveness is mandatory, but trust is optional. <laughs> Amen. 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 So we have to have a, an attitude of humility. That's right. To be ready to be forgiven, not only to forgive. Mm. Um, Papa, you know, sometimes, mm. is, it, is it right to say that sometimes the ability to open yourself up to be forgiven mm. it's a function of how the issue is presented to you and if that is the case then how do you despite the issue not being presented in a in the right manner mm. uh, how do you still move on and you know ask for forgiveness right i mean under normal circumstances again if we are following the spirit behind the approach you know that is Christ said it. I need to win my brother back. I still respect that sister. I still value the person. And so I'm making an effort to reach out. Sometimes the issue will not be properly presented. Mm. You know, as he said, um, a good food uh, badly presented uh, can put one off. It can, you can lose appetite uh, because it's, it's the same thing, but it's the way the person is approaching it. Sometimes that leads to a secondary offense, mm -hmm. you know, and therefore the primary offense is not even dealt with. The way you have even, the way you start even talking to me is all right, please get out of my house, you know, and that kind of thing. So then we are still back to square one. We now have double of the problem. But I think that sometimes we must be willing in the interest of peace and in the interest of our position in the realm of the spirit lest Satan should take advantage over us, that we look at things in the, great, in the bigger scheme with the eye of God mm -hmm. and say, you know what? As the scripture says, a matured Christian overlooks certain errors. So I will overlook the approach in a way just to deal with the substantive issue and to move on, mm -hmm. you know, so that we can later on, sometimes as the relationship builds on, though we repair it, sometimes later, we can revisit that approach mm. and correct it in a nice way with maturity so that at least the main purpose of winning that brother, that sister, that husband, that wife is sorted at that point in time. Sometimes we allow our emotions to take us over so it affects the approach that we, we start the whole thing with and it, it just becomes very offensive mm. in itself. But we can, we can look at things in a bigger way. May we have the eyes of God Amen. and the heart Amen. of God, a large heart of patience, to look at things and overlook certain faults and move on to deal with the substantive issue. When that is done, we can come back to the secondary issues. 
at another Amen. time. Amen. Amen. We have to look at things with the eye of God. Amen. Amen. Um, I hope you've been with us uh, since we started, but if you've just joined, uh, you are welcome to our midweek service. We have been talking about the power of unity, mm. and we have learned a lot so far. If you've missed the first part, don't worry. It's on YouTube and on Facebook. You can always go back and listen and learn. Amen. Amen. So one last question, and then I'll go to YouTube. <laughs> if unity is important, why does the church appear divided? And I think by the church, it doesn't mean Christ Church International, but the, the whole body of Christ. Yes. Um, it's a very sad state of affairs um, because the, that is why it's called the body of Christ. Um, Jesus himself said, if a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. Mm. Um, and I believe that one of the reasons why the body is divided is because of lack of proper teaching and discipleship. You know, if people become Christians, what do we teach them about the Christian faith? What do we teach them about the fundamental principles of Christianity? About truth, about sanctification, about forgiveness, about even prayer properly, just like Christ taught it, that, you know, prayer can't be complete without the element of forgiveness, etc. But sometimes people get to know Jesus Christ and, you know, they are just taught anointing oil and prophecies, you know. So they don't have a spirit of forgiveness. They don't know how to walk in it. Their old nature is still quite a lot of it is still there. There is not that genuine influence and genuine conversion of character. Uh, and I believe that that is one of the basic areas that there must be sound teaching of the body of Christ, of Christians, to understand the fundamental practices of our faith and what is expected of us as Christians. Um, so I believe that is one of the main things because all the things that cause division and confusion, it's if the people understand what this is, they will not walk in it. They won't carry their old behavior even into church. Mm. Um, and to flout church order and church rule. Again, it tells you either somebody's just refusing to learn because if you have got a case of maybe, you know, disrespect or disloyalty in church, if you track it down, it comes down to insubordination. But then you ask yourself, so where is the fear of God? I mean, how would you be insubordinate to a spiritual authority in the house of God? Where is your fear of God? Whereas we see in the scriptures that anyone that did that, even God came in to ask, why were you not afraid of my servant Moses? Where is the best way of approaching the issue rather than being rude and disrespectful to godly authority in the house of God? So then you ask yourself, is this person a Christian? Has the person been taught well or the person just doesn't want to follow Christ's word? So we have got a case here of a case of discipleship. And if discipleship has worked, then we have a case of willful neglect of the word of God by individuals who come to church and still don't want the character of Christ to be seen in them. You know, because for me, no, no matter how, you know, a man of God may offend me, I will be very, very careful how I approach that man of God. Because sometimes we may approach something in a different way, whereas the God who called that person will also deal with us in a different way. You know, so we have to be, and if there is the fear of God in us, in majority of Christians, then some of the divisions we see in church, we won't see it because our approach will be different. You know, even if you claim to be called by God, you will follow godly principles of being released out of the house of God. It's, it's there. You know, so the moment we can break it and still carry it like a worldly attitude into church and 
do those things, you ask yourself, what's going on here? And then the same thing of the slander and the gossip and the lies. You ask yourself, first of all, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Which spirit inspired you to lie so much about the other brother, the other deacon, the other pastor? So much. Which Holy Spirit is in you? You know, so you can stay under the genuine servant of God and refuse to allow yourself to be changed by the Spirit of God. Judas was, Jesus raised people, including Judas, but he became Judas. It doesn't mean the pastor was a wrong pastor, but it was because the Judas refused to allow himself to actually follow what is being taught. And the Bible says, and Satan entered into Judas. So what has entered into you? Where is your prayer life? Where is your fear of God? What does the Bible tell you as a Christian? When you are taking that step, to cause division in the house of God. When you are taking that step to fight that brother, that sister, that uncle, that mother, where is the fear of God which tells you honor your father and mother? Where is that one? Do you have respect for that? Do you know it in the Bible? Would you follow it? So there's something fundamentally wrong with the process of discipleship. And if that has worked, then with people's personal work with God, something again is not right there. And that is what is leading to the cumulative effect of the disorder and disunity even in the house of God. You know, sometimes you even look on Facebook and social media and the way, you know, another person comes in and want to correct another pastor. And, and by the time you correct, you have added an insult, you know, and you ask yourself, what's wrong with us? You know, having heard any scripture that says, and a demon rose against a demon, but we see, and a pastor rose against a pastor, and a Christian rose against the pastor, and a church member rose against a resident pastor, and you know, it's, you ask yourself, what's wrong? It is because if we go back to the source, how much of Christ is formed in us? How much of the Word of God are Christians today willing to practically practice? How much of your nature in the world? that you brought to church has actually been changed and how much have you allowed the Holy Ghost to really have his way in changing you? Or just like we do to the GPS, we continue to override it even when he says, apologize. No. Make a U-turn. No. I know the area. I'm going. May the Holy Spirit, who is like a GPS in you, not be overridden. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We must allow ourselves to be properly discipled. That was one of the last things that Jesus said, that after we have spoken to people and they have believed, mm. they must also be properly discipled. Amen. Amen. And we must allow Christ to be formed in us mm. and to take away our worldly attitude in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. So I am on YouTube now. Mm. Um, the first question is, can one love someone but not trust the person? <laughs> um, you may pretend to love but it won't be a genuine love because genuine love is born out of trust you know I've always presented the marriage institution as a house or any relationship like a house that's what everybody sees but every house no matter how huge the building is requires a foundation and it's the nature of the foundation that sustains the integrity of the building. And I've seen that when we say we are in love, love itself sits on a foundation of trust. And then trust sits on the foundation of transparency. 
You see, so when I can be transparent and you can be transparent to me, then I can trust you. And if I can trust you, then I can love you. And if I can love you, then I can marry you. Because we're going to spend our lives together forever. I'm going to commit my life into your hands. You know, at a certain point in the marriage, my life will be in your hands. Rather from the, right from the food you prepare to me, for me or the water you give to me, or some point in the night or in the day when I'm asleep, there's a certain point in that time of me being in deep sleep that I don't know where I am. My total life is in your hands. And so it's not just we are in love, but genuine trust is what gives birth to true love. You know, so if there is the element of distrust, I can tell you that there will always be issues with the marriage. If you check any problem in any relationship or marriage, anything about the love, you find out that when you investigate, it has got something to do with trust. Either somebody was not transparent with their salary and the other person found out later on. Pastor, I will stay in, but I don't think I'll trust him again. That's where you start hearing things like, I'm only in this because of the children. And I always say, don't stay in because of the children, because the children one day, they also leave. And so how long are you going to stay in because of the children? Now, when the children grow and they are leaving, is that when you also decide to leave? Why do you postpone your pain to that point? Deal with the issue and solve it. Mm. You know, so from, from infidelity to anything, you, come, you see that it comes down to trust issues. That's why it's now wanting to check the mobile phone to see the text messages. Why are you hiding your text messages? You see, that's it's a trust issue. So how can you say you love and can't be trust? You can't trust. If we only open ourselves, we become naked to those we trust. You know, so trust cannot be taken away from love. It, it is actually the thing that gives birth to the love. Amen. 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 Trust gives birth to the love. And mm. so without love, it's pretend. Without trust, it's, it's pretend love. Yes. Amen. Can we leave a romantic relationship because of disunity? Oh, you mean as in walk out of the romantic yes. relationship because of disunity? Disunity. Yes. Um, if you're a Christian, follow Jesus' prescription, solve what is causing the, the issue. Mm. If both of you can't solve it, follow prescription. Step two, get in some people who are experienced. Both of you trust their word carries weight and influence and let them step in to try and see how this can be resolved. Sometimes it's not a complicated problem. It's just the way both of you are looking at it. Mm. From my experience as a marriage consultant, I have come into certain marriages where it's like, I remember one person called and said, Pastor, it's enough now. I mean, I've just, I've just said, next week we are, we are just sending letters. I've told I'm calling the parents and all of that. And I step in, listen to the thing, and I started laughing. And I said, but it's not an issue. You see, you should approach it this way, approach it that way, approach it that way, and then you solve it. So sometimes what you think is a mountain, when someone comes in, he'll find out, oh, no, this is just a bold hill. Mm -hmm. uh, don't give these meanings to it. She didn't mean it this way. This is her background. Take note of her background. Take note of where she's coming from. And that is what is informing this. When you get to know, this is how you respond. You know, so I believe that there's quite a lot of avenues for solution mm -hmm. before we just walk away uh, because of disunity. It depends on what is causing the disunity. How much effort have we made to solve it correctly? Are we diagnosing it correctly or we are giving the wrong prescription to it? You know, so when you do all of this and it still doesn't work, 
then it's possible that it's going to continue to show itself and you will not enjoy this marriage. Marriages are supposed to be enjoyed rather than endured. So if we see certain signs before, we try and solve them, deal with them, and then we can now go forward. Otherwise, uh, then it would be wise to, to not go in uh, before it becomes something that you are now trapped in it forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Papa. Um, hmm. um, <laughs> I'm going to try, with your permission, Papa, to take two, two or three, two and a half questions. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. How does an ordinary church member unite ununited pastors in church? <laughs> what a question. An ordinary church member yes. unites ununited pastors yes, in church. Yes, please. Um, first of all, it's not going to be an easy approach um, because... Unless this ordinary church member has a certain influence, has a certain relationship with the pastors, he or she cannot exercise a certain level of authority over pastoral authority. Um, and that is why when there are issues around pastors, they are dealt with by pastors. That's why when you are disciplining a pastor, it is, it is dealt with among pastors. Sometimes people who are ignorant of church order and practice think we can tell other people in church and then they can step in and solve the problem. It's an error because a pastor has an air of morality around them um, that only pastors can deal with the issue because if, you know, even ordinary congregation members, when they hear a slander about a pastor, they even walk away from the church disrespect the senior person. You have just heard rumor mm. and you are believing it. What if you are called to sit in a meeting concerning a pastor and we open up the skeletons in the person's cupboard? Do you think you have got the maturity to ever receive from the ministry of that pastor? No, that is why it would take pastors or a senior pastor to, to discipline pastors and be able to still restore them and still receive from them. You know, so they, it's not the same as what we do in our company. You know, that anybody can go and sit down. But there's, there's a certain level of spirituality and morality around a pastor that you don't just expose that to immature people in the congregation. But those who don't understand ecclesiastical order, they just think, oh, everybody can just step in like that. So back to your question. Maybe you may observe that. I don't know what the import of the question is. But unless you have got a relationship with them, sometimes in congregations, we build relationship with pastors personally. Mm -hmm. And so maybe if you see something, you could use that relationship to actually weigh in on this and that and, and then help resolve something. But it's not going to be very easy. It depends on how you are going to come in. To, to, to solve the issue between two disunited pastors. Otherwise, you may have to defer to a higher authority above them and, and, and then draw that higher authority's attention to that. Mm -hmm. I've observed this. I don't know whether you've seen. If, they are not, if the higher authority is not in your church and those people have a relationship with that senior pastor from another place, depending on the relationship, so you are not seen to be gossiping, mm -hmm. You know, you look at the relationship and say, I've come purely on this. You can quote me on that. Because the person who is coming to solve it should not pretend that the Holy Ghost told him these two pastors are fighting. <laughs> you know, he must be able to say, and that's the problem I have with Christians. Sometimes I'm telling you, they don't tell anybody. Come on. It's going to kill someone. You know, if you gave me the information, we should be able to quote you. 
to say, this is your observation. You came purely based on this observation. And therefore, you know, that is how it will be resolved. So I believe that there are relationships that are built sometimes outside, you know, congregation members have it. When we're growing up, we have certain pastors that we're very, very close to, you know. And so if we see anything, maybe we can just nudge them or maybe speak to their wives. We, we are close. We go to the house. We do everything. So we know that if, let's say, two junior ministers, uh, two, past, two junior pastors are, you know, having a conflict, there are certain people they have relationship with uh, who have a certain influence as well on them. They may not be pastors, but they may be matured people who are matured Christians as well. And because this is not within, like, it's not, it's not something that is destroying the church. But you can see that it's not a very healthy thing going on. It, it could be dealt with by the people they relate with. You know, but when it's got something that has an impact on the church, that goes into, you know, it's going to the senior pastor or the general pastor, etc., then that would be dealt with at that level. You know, so I, I hope I haven't confused the, the questioner. Um, I, hope, I hope not. So um, unless you have a relationship with the pastors involved, it is better for you to defer to a higher authority, authority yes. to deal with it. for the clarification. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, why is everyone in a rush to set up his or her own church instead of uniting with another church? Is it because of money, competition, etc.? It's a very um, <laughs> interesting question. Everybody's rushing to start their own church. Um, There is a, a yes and a no to that. Uh, unfortunately, we are seeing more of the negative side of these things. Um, sometimes, it's not something God does all the time. Sometimes, God may call someone out of a ministry to start a new movement. And that new movement must be totally distinct from where they came from. Now, the, when God does something like that, that means that it is, his, he wants to emphasize a particular message or doctrine. You see, so when we study the movements of God, you see things like that. Um, but what is happening is a lot of disorder, you know, a lot of disorder. We may all be called by God, we are, but we may all not be called to found churches. I have observed and from my little experience, I can tell that there's quite a lot of people who have started churches, they have no business starting church. You know, and sometimes the motive is to prove a point. Because either they were disciplined in one church or the other and they want to go and prove that they too they are called. You know, if you go in with that mentality, we don't start church that way. <laughs> because the motive is already wrong. Who do you want to impress, the devil, God, or the pastor you left? Because if you try to impress people, it has a short time. Because it has no vision. You find yourself going out and you are replicating everything from where you came from. So what is the difference here? That's not God. The movements of God, when they come out, they stand differently. They stand so distinctly because there is an emphasis of a message. So they may preach everything, but you see that that particular church, there's something they are emphasizing which God has called. Unfortunately, it's all back down to the same indiscipline the same lack of proper discipleship, ethics, order, and discipline in the house of God that leads to any little thing, I'm going to start my church. 
Then again, because of the disorder, you have one or two people in the congregation encouraging them, yeah, let's go, you can lead us, you can pray. You know, it's not about prayer. It's not about preaching. It's about a divine calling. Would the thing outlive you? What impact would it have on society in the end when it is checked? And so others who have done these things all because of some of these things. And then there are others to who, you know, it's because of money. Um, and unfortunately, they, they've got their own methods and style of doing such things. So at least there are three levels of things. There is also the genuine call of God. You know, I've always said it. I didn't break away from any church. My pastor had a preaching. I've had encounters with God. In that church, I, I, my prayer and my faith will be, I will be a pastor in that church. I knew that God's hand is on me. I've had encounters with God. But what I then didn't know was what he meant by the things he was saying. You know, then my senior pastor one day calls me out of the blue, lays hands on me in front of the congregation, said a lot of things that God is about to do with me, and I left. A few days later, he sent for me to his office and told me he's had dreams on two occasions and in which he sees me as a tree, a big tree growing outside his compound. He understands perfectly what that dream meant. He wants me to leave the church before I become a pastor in the church. He encouraged me. He's been behind me all along, even up to today. So I had to leave the church painfully at a very early age, stage, and carry on with this as a fellowship, which later on has become the Christ Church churches across the nations of the world. Now, if those encounters and that confirmation didn't come, I don't think I'm going to leave. My, my, I, I believe I will be a pastor in that church. I was always dreaming of the day when I will become a pastor in the church. But this is what happened. And I believe that most of you who have come into contact with this anointing and you've been blessed, you, you can tell that, oh, it was worth it that we met you. Uh, but then I remember how he shared with me and said he felt very emotional about it, but it's better... I leave before I become anything significant here. But that is a genuine revelation. It's a rare man of God who will be able to do something like that. And so I always believe that there must be authentic calling of God and there must be confirmations genuinely from God to start a new movement. That's why when you say God has come to do something, we are asking questions like, what did he say? You know, is it somebody who's just inspiring you to go? Don't listen to the ladies that sang David has killed 10,000. It's thousands and Saul has killed 10,000. David has killed 10,000. Saul has killed only 1,000. David killed only one man. Be careful of the flattery. You know, sometimes when people have been in church for a long time, senior pastor has been preaching all along, and then one day he gives someone the opportunity to preach. They'll preach. I mean, if you sit down for two years, three years, listening to teaching, Every preaching of pastor, you get a revelation in it. So when the opportunity is given to you, you will preach. And congregation members will come and tell you, wow, such anointing is here and they are sitting on it. Don't be deceived. They can't call you. But that was, that's what I found over the years. People get deceived and they don't know their place in the ministry and think they have to go and start churches. We don't have to be doing that. It's funny, you know, because in the end, it puts too much pressure on the body of Christ. It confuses the world. And it destroys the purpose of God. 
The true calling of God to start off something new is one, it's genuine, it still happens today. But they are not the norm, it's rare. But the other ones, they are all based on if people could just humble themselves. And that's why sometimes when people live rudely and do those things, they go and start. And the very seed they sow, they start reaping it. You know, if you teach people to disrespect the senior pastor, it's just a matter of time. You will become senior pastor to them and you will see that you have taught them how to be disrespectful. That's why David was different. Even with the opportunity he got to kill Saul, he taught them, don't touch the Lord's anointed. You see what happened later. He never knew that fast forward some 20-something years later, he committed adultery. 600 mighty men could have stoned him to death. One of them could kill 800 Philistines. See how mighty they were. But they were mindful he is still the Lord's anointed. They will put up with your faults and mistakes. So your offense today should not make you tear the whole house and teach people to be rude to senior pastor. You will become senior pastor one day as you dream and you have sown a seed which will come back to fight you. Let me leave it here. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Papa. So the God still genuinely calls people, but it is very rare. We should not allow ourselves to be used as instruments by the devil to... Uh, break up churches yeah. in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'll ask my last question. <laughs> yes, let the last question. <laughs> last question. How do you deal with rejection? Example for jobs in uni, even though you've prayed to God for it several times. Yes, it's a very practical question. Um, rejection hurts. We were not created to be rejected. We always want to be accepted. In fact, it's our quest for acceptance that sometimes leads to us being abused by others because we want to be accepted at all costs. Um, but one of the things that I want to say to anyone that finds themselves in such a situation is, first of all, to consider how special you still are in the presence of God despite the disappointments of people. Because all the people that disappoint you, you know, they, they won't live forever, but God lives forever. Despite the challenges that you are going through, you are still loved by God. His blood, the blood of the Son of God was still shed for you. That tells you how precious you still are in the sight of God. And sometimes, what we may be unhappy about as rejection may itself be an indirect answer to a prayer of we being delivered from something that we have no physical knowledge of at that point in time. If we have really prayed and we are doing everything and we get rejected, we apply for a job, it's been a long time and we need a job and you know, we want it at all costs and, and then you are told again and again that you can't be taken. There's a sense by which you feel defeated and there's a sense where we feel as if, where is God? Has he himself also joined those who have been rejecting me? You know. And, but if we are doing all of that and we are facing these doors, let's continue to pray and believe God. But let's not, as, as natural as human as we are, we will feel a little bit of pain and feel emotionally down. But don't let it dominate you. I've always told myself when I see rejection that it could be an answer to God from God in an indirect way. And maybe as a hymn writer said, we will understand it better by and by, but we don't stop applying. We don't stop writing applications. We don't stop preparing ourselves for interviews. 
we don't stop wanting to enter relationships again. Let's be like God, as children of God. He also suffered rejection in the garden. Adam and Eve rejected his advice. That's hurting. That's painful. But he still did not kill both of them and created another Adam and Eve. But he actually still used their descendants to bring about a solution. So we shouldn't kill ourselves. It hurts, but let's learn to move on. And let's continue to trust God. If it's a relationship thing, trust God. God has reservoirs of men and women who he can bring your way to stand with you. Amen. He always does substitution reaction. He's like a coach and a football manager. He will replace the non-performing ones, those who disappoint you, and bring in a fresh limb into the field to help you get your results. So it may be jobs, it may be marriage, it may be relationship, it may be so many things where we feel reject rejected. Even in ministry, when people walk away as a pastor, you feel as if they have rejected you. Samuel found himself in that state. God came to tell him, it's not you, it's me. Samuel, get on. Don't worry. I've got David for you. He will be obedient to my commandments. Mm. I will ordain him. You leave Saul alone. So people would do that, um, but it is part of life. We mature with it. And so don't let that kill you. If, if, that should, if we allow that, I won't be sitting here. Mm -hmm. If we allow that, I will stop preaching. Mm. I will stop trusting people. I will stop raising leaders. I won't spend hours and hours still training people, still training deacons, still training pastors. During this lockdown, I've been training pastors. I've been training deacons, new deacons, new pastors. Training, they are going through training. And sometimes you spend four hours, five hours online with them, teaching, marking their exams, doing all of this. I mean, I've, I've done that before, and I've seen disappointment before, but it's not stopping me. You know, you grow from strength to strength, and God looks upon that sacrifice and pour anointing on you and pour his grace on you and sees you as relevant. So sometimes the rejection we face may be training grounds for preparation for higher things that are yet to come. Mm -hmm. But rejection and denials doesn't mean that God has rejected you. You know, his delays are not denials. Mm. When we go and he say, on this occasion, we are unable to offer you a job, you take that thing and take it to God in prayer. Say, Father, they have done it again. What is your verdict on this? Help me, favor me, open a door. He will do it at the right time. And one day you look back and realize, ah, it was good. But at this moment, it's not a very easy thing. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 God's denials. They can be a blessing. Yes. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, I, I know I have learned a lot. I know I have been blessed, Papa. And I'm sure that you have been blessed as well um, at home, wherever you are. I hope you took notes. If you didn't, the, you can always go back and listen to And you must listen to this over and over again. And it will be a blessing to you. Um, so at this moment, I would like all of us to join in and say a very big thank you to Bishop for the blessing that he has been for us and to us this evening. Shall we all say thank you? Thank you, Papa. <laughs> it's always, it's, it's always a, I don't know, a different level to, to have Q&As. Uh, we learn a lot. And we are thankful to God and to you, Papa. Thank you very much. 
Church, I believe you have been blessed tonight. I know that some of you wish we are going on and on. The Lord will release us again next week. And uh, it will be a blessing to you. But I believe that this format of teaching service is really uh, impacting many lives. And I'm grateful to God that we will not just be hearers, but I pray that we will put them to immediate use. And if there's a follow-up question to this, again, as Dikin Amaham would have said, you can send us an email at getunderstanding at christchurches.org and uh, we will pick it up and next week we will bring it on. We want to make sure that as much as possible your questions are answered biblically and practically so that you are able to serve Christ with understanding. We are still in our fasting mood. This is our 17th day of the fast. We want to believe God as we pray tonight in a few hours, in the few minutes that we have gotten. We want to pray and I want us to pray on the prayer topic uh, uh, from the teaching that we have just received. Unity is so important. Unity in marriages, unity in families, unity in churches. God will call us. God will give us the assignment. But there's an enemy of unity. He brings this unity. He forces us to speak another language. We rebel against pastoral order and directives. We fight the vision of the church. That we Sometimes we also become like Peter. The Bible says that of Peter, you know, in, in Matthew 16, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, at this very minute, Peter, you didn't know this. The spirit of my father just explained this to you, just imparted this knowledge to you. That means that Peter came under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost at that moment. If you look at it further down, four verses up in verse 21, the Bible says, Jesus also then announced the same day and said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm about to be killed. This is in line with the fulfillment of prophecy concerning his life, the will of God. The Bible says Peter withstood him, opposed the vision, and he had the temerity, the boldness, as my teacher in biology would say, the impudence of a cockroach to actually rebuke Jesus Christ. Hey, Peter, you don't fear God. You see the arrogance. And the Bible says, Jesus looked at him and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Four verses up, Holy Spirit was influencing Peter. Four verses down, the same day, Satan has sneaked in. Sometimes we, we follow the vision and we are applauded and we are lauded and we get excited. And then we lose God in the spirit. We let down our God. And then the devil comes in and we use the same person who used to support the vision to suddenly oppose the vision. Something is wrong somewhere. We want to pray today that God will bring unity, the love to flood your homes, your relationships, your marriages, your businesses. Maybe in the company you are working, you have a team you are working. When the team undermines you, it will affect your work. It may affect your promotion. Some people, they don't care bringing the whole thing down. If they don't get their way, and you with a good intention will also be brought down. And that's why we need to pray for unity in the name of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we may be standing right, but the error of other people around us may take all of us down. And that's why you need to pray for the spirit of unity. Today, this burden of unity has been in my spirit. And I want us to lift our voices wherever you are. Unity in the family. Look at your family and say, how united are you? When you were born into that family, and you saw grandpa and granddad and all of them, you saw there was a united family. Suddenly there's another generation where 
The whole family is so scattered. What happened? What is the issue? It used to be a loving family. An enemy has stepped in. For Jesus to pray in John 17 for unity, it tells you unity can be achieved by the power of the Lord and by the principles that we have learned today. You want to lift your voice and pray that you will not be the agent of disunity, but you'll be an agent of unity in every area of your life because without unity, great things cannot be achieved. Can we lift our voices tonight? The anointing of the Lord is here. In the name of Jesus, pray for unity. A united team, pray for love and unity in the name of Jesus. Masho Kabaya Sabarambadaya Le Shibro Sukatalamaba Yandele Beshaburabalababa In the name of Jesus, everybody pray. In Jesus' name, back me up with prayer through the microphones. In the name of Jesus, Me Shaburanda Sabarandaya Mantele Bashaburabaya Kazaba it's still the day we are fasting so pray as people who have been fasting and engaging in the spirit in the name of jesus this is a prophetic direction that we are praying for unity we are praying for love in the name of jesus that relationship is a beautiful thing but the enemy knows how to sow discord in the name of jesus you are getting all along very well with your boss until somebody came in and sowed disunity and destroyed the relationship. Tonight you are praying, love to flood the church, love to flood your marriages, love to flood your families, love to flood your relationships. In the name of Jesus, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of unity. We pray for unity, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that as a church we will be one. We pray for unity in the body of Christ, in the name of Jesus. We pray, Lord God, great visions have been disturbed. Great visions have stayed unfulfilled because of division, because of misunderstanding. In the name of Jesus tonight, we cast out the spirit of division, the spirit of confusion, and we pray unity in the name of Jesus. Unity in career, in your company, in the job. Lord, in the name of Jesus, unity. The spirit of unity, the team you lead in the workplace. It has a potential of bringing promotion or devotion. When your team is not united and you are unable to achieve the targets. We pray in the name of Jesus. Father, we ask unity in our families, Lord. 
in among siblings, between our parents, between married couples, in the name of Jesus. We pray unity in our families, unity in our workplaces, unity in our churches and ministries. Lord, we pray for loyal and dedicated members in the mighty name of Jesus. The Bible tells us in Genesis 11 that when God saw the unity of the people, he said nothing can stop them from fulfilling what they have purpose to do. Nothing. And so God Almighty came down and divided their language. Because what they were doing was not in line. Their heart was not right. Now it tells you that when people also gather to do the right thing in the sight of God, Satan also wants to disturb it. And sometimes when you are doing all the right thing, the attack doesn't come from outside. It comes from within. Jesus' ministry was attacked from within, Judas. And Satan entered into him. Tonight you want to pray against every spirit of confusion, division, slander, every attitude that results in that sort of thing. We are praying that we will not become agents of disunity in the name of Jesus, that our spirit man will also be guarded, our minds will also be guarded. In Psalm 140, it says that the Lord should guard my head in the day of battle. The Lord should cover my head, that your minds will be covered from the pollutions of the voices of enemies of progress. In the name of Jesus, we want to bind every spirit of disloyalty, every spirit of opposition to what is right, every spirit of slander, and everything that fights unity from your church, from your family, in the workplace. In Jesus' name, you want to pray that you yourself, like Peter, your heart will be protected so that you don't get influenced one minute by the Spirit of God and the next minute the devil is using you to oppose a divine agenda. We want to pray against the spirit of needless offenses. Sometimes in church and in our relationship, some people hold on to grudges too much. Needless offenses. Something little that you can actually, you know what, just rub it on your skin and move on. You are holding it and, you know, and it ends up you gain nothing after a long time. The devil uses your 
own anger and attitude to fight good things that will come your way. Tonight, God is calling us into unity, a new dimension of unity. And we are binding every influence and every satanic manipulation that would disturb the love and unity of anything that you are doing in the name of Jesus from the church to our families and relationships.